This is an ABC podcast. We have evolved for uh, at least hundreds of thousands of years talking to each other, but much longer interacting. And we know how to do eye contact with something we don't think about. We look at each other normally, we'd look down and away in, in almost like a dance. We found that people were expressing fatigue after an average of about four hours in a day. And yet some people were actually on Zoom pretty much for eight hours a day. Uh, my camera's up here, but you're down there. And so there's that eye contact thing. And it's just enough to be off that our system feels really weird. We just need to work out how we do this well. Yes, well, that's the magic question. How do we do online video conferencing well? Hello, and welcome to This Working Life. I'm Lisa Leong, and today we're jumping onto a video call and learning what's going on inside our brains when we meet online and why we feel so fatigued afterwards. And just a heads up, we're using the shorthand Zoom, but we're talking about all kinds of video calls. With me is Jeff Hancock. Professor of Communication at Stanford and the founding director of the Social Media Lab here. And I would rate myself a five out of five on the Zoom fatigue scale as of right now. Been one of those long days, but happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And Julie Bernhardt. Professor of Neuroscience at the Florey Institute in Melbourne, Australia. And it's the start of my day. So I'm actually really good right now. Jeff, can you please explain what's happening inside our head when we're on Zoom? Yeah, well, when I first started thinking about this with my colleague, Jeremy Balenson, we were so excited that we didn't have to commute into campus. You know, there was very few things to be excited about when the pandemic began. Uh, but then we both started noticing feeling kind of really tired and, and more tired than usual. So we started looking into what this might be uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. It looks like there's there's a, a number of things that are different enough from face to face meetings uh, that it leads to this sort of like sneaky fatigue that everybody feels. Uh, one is the digital mirror. So I don't know about you all, but I'm looking at a version of myself right now and I'm you know looking at it almost all the time. So is everybody else. What are you thinking, Jeff, when you're looking at yourself there? I'm like, how, how do the teeth look? Uh, am I smiling nice? Um, although both Julie and Lisa, you both have lovely smiles, so I'm, I'm looking at that. And, you know, I'm not a narcissist, but I've, I've been trying to monitor myself, and I would say it's like half and half. Like, I try hard not to look at myself and try to look at you, Lisa, or you, Julie, uh, but I just find myself being drawn back. And when we talk to participants, that this is a common refrain. And so when we focus on ourselves a lot like this, um, we overdo what's called self-focused attention. And that extra attention to ourselves gets us thinking about, well, are we who we want to be? Um, we really overthink the self. And a lot of work uh, in the 90s by some psychologists showed that uh, women suffer from this more often. So they would put a mirror into a room and enhance this self-focused attention. And so it leads to a sort of more uh, what we call cognitive load, making us think more, and can even lead to increased anxiety and even low-level depression. So we're dealing with that all the time. That's, I think, number one. Number two um, is that we're trapped in, in a way different than face-to-face. So 
there's this camera, there's an aperture that I have to sit inside and I'm not an actor. So also when I'm on screen, you know, I'm, Lisa and Julie are looking at me. So I, I'm kind of like, I've tightened up. Whereas if we were in my office here at Stanford, uh, we'd be get moving around, we'd be moving our core and our body. And so those are two really big things. Women in particular in our studies have reported feeling really trapped. Mm. Um, that is that there's this extra sense of just being trapped there. So those are two of the things that we've looked at and that really contribute a lot to that fatigue. And Jeff, what about this feeling that like even if I shut down my self-view and paid attention to you, that actually there's something going on through the screen that is also fatiguing? What is that? Right. Well, we have evolved for uh, at least hundreds of thousands of years talking to each other, but much longer interacting. And we know how to do eye contact with something we don't think about. We look at each other normally. We'd look down and away in, in almost like a dance. And as good as technologies like Zoom are, and I should say, like, thank goodness for them. Like, here we are seeing each other across, like, the whole world. As good as they are, there's still a couple of important things. There's um, a 60 to 80 millisecond uh, lag. There's a bunch of algorithms working to try and smooth out the sound and the vision that aren't perfect. And uh, my camera is up here, but you're down there. And so there's that eye contact thing. And it's just enough to be off that our system feels really weird. And early on, uh, I don't know about you, but I always had my Zoom window really big. And so like <laughs> you, Lisa, would be giant. And what we realized was that it was potentially tricking our cognitive system into feeling like Lisa was like really close to me, like this close. And there's only two reasons to be this close to somebody else. Either you're about to get into a fight. And Jeff, you've got your hands up as well and you're showing me a very tiny gap. <laughs> That's right. Like if we're like a less than a foot apart, there's only two things that are going to happen. Either we're going to get into a fight or we're about to get intimate, right? So it's that fight or uh, response. And so we could have been triggering a, a physiological reaction and that reaction costs us energy. And that's another reason why we could have been so tired. So we, we recommend reducing the window and also turning that self-view off as often as you can. Although a lot of people now are like, yeah, I turn it off, but I still want to see myself. So I turn it back on. And I'm having a bit of a chuckle as well, Jeff, because in real life, I'm tiny. I'm about three foot, nothing. So uh, you having me, you know, bigger than 740 is quite entertaining for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. On. Well, it's funny. I had my first uh, physical class with my students yesterday. We've been virtual for three weeks and it was just like, oh, wow, you all have legs and stuff. It was, uh, <laughs> it was really kind of nice to see everybody. Now, there are many different types of fatigue from our time on Zoom. Can you explain these different types for us, Jeff? Right. So there's um, the sort of physical one of just that being trapped on camera that people report a lot. Social. I just don't want to talk to anybody. When I was a customs officer in Canada and I would clear, you know, hundreds to a thousand people into Canada, at the end of the day, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, I would just sit down and watch some TV. So we have that feeling of social. Some people get emotionally drained. So expressing oneself, you know, to, to come across as like engaged is harder on, on Zoom. Um, motivational. So people felt drained from a motivation point. When they were done, they were just like, I don't want to do anything. You know, I, I don't even want to watch TV. I just want to lay here for a bit. And initially we were a bit skeptical, like, really, are people this tired in these different ways? Well, we've, we've had well over 20,000 people take the, uh, the ZEF scale, we call it the Zoom exhaustion and fatigue scale. And it's really shocking. People differ quite a bit in the different kinds of, of fatigue. So those are the big main ones that we've been seeing. 
Let's go deeper into the Zoom exhaustion and fatigue scale. Can you explain how it works? And by the way, I've done it, Jeff. Oh, have you? Excellent. Yeah. How were you? How did you come out? I felt quite fatigued, but not in terms of wanting to be alone after all of these Zoom calls. So I, I was the opposite in terms of that, but everything else I did feel drained and I did my eyes were tired, but I actually wanted to go and socialise with real human beings. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common response. Especially women were feeling like that physical drain and then they wanted to just be with some some real people. So, right, I think that's a, a pretty common response. Um, the scale was, we, we developed because we're, we realized there was no sort of specific scale to get at this. And uh, it took us a, a long time. It turns out making a, a really good scale is hard. Um, so it's 15 questions. Anybody, any of your listeners can go on uh, if they just look up Zef scale, Z-E-F. And uh, when they go through it, it'll ask about these different kinds of fatigue. It'll also ask questions about how long you're on Zoom, how much space you leave between Zoom meetings. It turns out women tend to reduce that space uh, between meetings. And that looks like a big reason for why women are feeling more uh, fatigued than men. So ladies out there, like build in some time in between them. And uh, at the end of this scale, you get some feedback where you are in what we call the distribution. So are you compared to the other 20,000 or so people? Are you really high? Or are you really low? Or are you somewhere in the middle? And then what kind of fatigue do you seem to suffer from the most? What can the results of this scale tell us then, Jeff? Well, one thing, the biggest finding, and I've mentioned this a little bit, is is that women report uh, a lot worse fatigue. And, you know, I've been doing research for about 20 years, and I've never seen this kind of effect, like where we see it every aspect of the data. It doesn't matter how we slice it. Women over the last year and a half or so have suffered more uh, from a fatigue point of view than men. So what we've been trying to do is learn why does that take place? And then what can we do for women to sort of like help? So there's some individual level things like uh, get an external webcam and, and an external keyboard so you can sit sort of further from your screens, like especially if you have a laptop, you're just like locked in close. That, that allows you to move around. Like I mentioned, you know, giving yourself time in between Zoom. That's one reason why I'm feeling fatigued is I didn't today. And that, that is always a mistake. And then also that self-view. Turn off the digital mirror for a little bit. Then what we also realize is like we shouldn't be saying, hey, um, ladies, here's this problem. You should fix it. We're just sort of putting it back on women. So we've been working with a lot of companies and policymakers to think about the ways organizations should change things. So um, having no Zoom days uh, here in, in the U.S., Stanford listened to our advice, uh, a couple of the big banks, no Zoom Fridays so that women didn't feel like they had to turn on the, the thing. Um, and so I think there's some things that organizations should be doing so that it's not the responsibility of women to feel better about this. Um, remembering that women even you know, in 2022, are more likely to be managing kids. They're more likely to be managing um, the house. And so they have all these extra concerns that are intensified because Zoom brings us into our homes. And so um, that's, that's sort of one of the biggest values I think our scale did was, was sort of highlight that this has been more difficult for women than for men. Okay, we're going to come to more solutions in just a minute. But first, let's hear from Professor Julie Bernhardt from the Florey Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. G'day, Julie. G'day. 
Jeff, so many of those things that you've just been talking about, we found exactly the same thing in our small snapshot early in 2020. And I think it's that last piece around the the effect on women that was really crystal clear. A lot of it around interruptions as well with children. So that piece about um, them getting interrupted so often in uh, a workday during a Zoom meeting that just adds all that extra stress. I'm so glad to hear it, Julie. It's always great when, you know, something replicates far away from, you know, your own work. So thanks for thanks for that. Julie, you surveyed a couple of hundred Australians about their Zoom fatigue. How did meeting size, frequency and length contribute to people's Zoom fatigue? Yeah, it was remarkable to see what people were doing. Of course, as we rapidly transitioned into this new way of working, uh, some people were having meetings with a whole business with thousands of people on a Zoom. Of course, that becomes more of a, a not a uh, like this, uh, uh, a sort of a face-to-face issue, but it, it was really quite remarkable. So we found that people were not controlling how long they were spending on Zoom, so that that was early in the piece. People were uh, really just staying on as long as uh, they needed, so they hadn't worked out how to run meetings uh, in the same way. We found that people were expressing fatigue after an average of about four hours in a day, and yet some people were actually on Zoom pretty much for eight hours a day. And so, again, Jeff's points about breaking that up is really important. So, yeah, the meeting time and I think uh, we also explored social aspects, how people were using Zoom to socialise because it was the pandemic and everyone was shut down. And that was really interesting because some people find socialising on Zoom very awkward. There's all of these new things we've had to learn about turn-taking, lots of really important behaviours that we've had to change by coming onto this platform, but also some people found it better. And people who are perhaps neuroatypical, so people who find uh, Zoom uh, or social interactions face-to-face difficult actually found it easier to do social interactions via Zoom. And I thought that was interesting. Jeff, anything to add uh, in, your, in terms of your observations and data? Yeah, well, um, older people seem to fare well. The, the young folks really uh, struggled with fatigue as well, although you know, young women more than young men. Probably, again, because of feeling trapped, uh, whereas uh, us older folks are totally happy to just sit in their chair. Um, And then uh, extroverts seem to be a little bit more fatigued at the end. I think probably because of that expressing that they typically do. So as Julie was saying, some people actually really like it. And uh, if you're an introvert, you got to just do that Zoom thing and then boom, you're right back in your home, happy as can be. I'd like to also talk about the positives of this because, you know, we talk about fatigue, but wow, what an important tool it was uh, during, especially during lockdown. So you touched on a little bit about how we recover from Zoom fatigue. Have you got any other thoughts apart from a walk in the park, um, Jeff? Well, uh, I, I think recovery can be as simple as, as getting up and moving around. I mean, it, it's sort of like one of those dumb things that it's like, well, you're, you know, your mom always told you had to get physical activity and eat your vegetables. Well, this is sort of the eating veggies of Zoom, I think. I got a stand-up desk. It was life-changing for me. Um, it allowed me to move my body around in ways that I can see, Lisa, you're doing. I think it's really valuable. I also think that there's uh, digital tools now um, that can be really valuable. Here in the U.S., there's Calm. 
uh, in Australia, there's Insight Timer. And, and these are tools, so you're already there, you're already in front of your, your computer that offer meditation ideas, ways of moving, thinking that can be, that can be really helpful. I think um, this is a great question that you ask because certainly here in the US, we've been focused a lot on what do we not want when it comes to tech? So disinformation, a social media making us like depressed or anxious, sure, we don't want any of that. But I think we haven't been doing enough thinking about what we do want. What does digital well-being mean? You know, what, what is that? And so that's a, something that we're starting to think a lot about. And so I think your question gets right to that. What is healthy to do? And, um, and how do we do more of that and less of the stuff that makes us you know, less happy? Absolutely, Jeff. I think um, the other stuff that we were unpacking as part of our surveys, this sort of change in the social aspects of of, of how we now work or, or the sort of increased uh, casualization of what we're doing, the fact that we can see into people's lives more, we know about people's pets, we know about their children because we see them interrupt in Zoom meetings. There's some really interesting stuff, I think, that's happening uh, around us getting insights into our colleagues workplace that or home environment I should say as part of our work that is super interesting for us in this um, in this area but I also think that uh, we've seen examples and we did explore examples of bad behavior as well as examples of funny and good behavior in our uh, survey and you know there is also some standards of how we behave on on zoom and in these interactions that could uh, contribute I imagine to stress or pleasure of it and it was really interesting to us that uh, while there were some examples of people behaving badly on Zoom, uh, that about 60% of people said, no, we don't need any formal standards. Uh, We just need to work out how we do this well. And so I think that, you know, your point about how do we do this well, what do we want? But there probably is a standard of behaviour that we sort of need to think about as well. Yeah, I often think about when we first had elevators, and uh, everybody would get on the elevator and stare at each other. And I was like, oh, oh, this is uncomfortable. And now we get on the elevator and everybody knows what to do, right? You face <laughs> forward, you look up or down, but you don't look at each other. And it's no big deal. And so I think Julie's right that um, maybe already, but certainly, you know, over time, we're developing those norms, uh, the, the sort of like goodbye wave, the thumbs up, those sort of things. And it's, it's helping. I think it's helping a lot. All right, let's get to the top tips to reduce and prevent Zoom fatigue. Jeff. Okay, number one tip is uh, get that external webcam and keyboard and move yourself away from the big screen. Um, That's really important. If you have to use a laptop, um, we have another study that just came out where if you have it in your lap, the angle of the camera onto your face makes you look uh, intimidating and untrustworthy. So it's the, <laughs> yeah, it's the least good angle. Um, so let's not do that. Um, at least get it up so it's as high towards your face as possible. I think for women, especially getting up and moving around, young people getting up and moving around, let's uh, try not to be as narcissistic as I am and turn that self view off uh, at least some of the time. Um, We hear from everybody that does it, that it immediately feels like something has been lifted off of them. And then women, especially are like, yeah, but also I would like to see it every once in a while. It's kind of a cool, 
it's a cool new thing that we have in our lives. Normally we would just go to the bathroom and check and then get back into the world. But now we can like see ourselves all the time. So I think dialing that back a fair bit uh, is, is really important. And, and then, yeah, managing in the way that Julie was talking about um, your schedule. Again, for women, this kind of sucks because they tend to not be in positions of power despite it being 2022. So I, I don't think it should fall on individuals only, but leaders, managers, bosses, um, all the politicians out there. Let's help, uh, let's help us all out and, and make things um, not individual choice. So having meetings that don't have to be video on, for example. Um, those are some of the top things that we have. And, and I think for each individual, you'll also get a sense if you start paying attention to when you feel good and when you need to take a break. Yeah, I, ha- I had many of those and that's, that's great. We are so aligned in that way. Uh, I guess the others to add, uh, avoid multitasking during meetings. Uh, people find that like a, a really useful use of their time. But in fact, multitasking is both hard on you, uh, on your brain, as you're trying to uh, do two things at once. But it's also hard for the person trying to run the meeting because it's really giving cues that are very distracting and hard. You can tell if someone's multitasking most of the time. So I really try not to multitask. I think that would be my added one. Yeah, stand up if you can, same, same idea, move around. And I think if you're working at home with young children, uh, that really is a whole new story. And Uh, I think that if there's two parents working at home, they really do need to work well together to coordinate and make sure that someone is able to take care of their child while they're meeting because otherwise that person's just so distracted and it's really tough on them and it's usually a woman. So let's try and uh, make sure we get that balance right. Thank you both. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. It's been great talking with you. So if you do just two things to fight Zoom fatigue this week, try turning off your self-view and stand up and away from the computer so you can move around. Next time on This Working Life, it's a complex, insidious problem at work that almost everyone experiences at some stage in their careers. Bullying is an organisational problem. We're tackling workplace bullying and busting some myths. The biggest myth is that bullying is an interpersonal or individual problem, you know, that it's the fault of the target or the fault even of the alleged perpetrator. But what the evidence really clearly shows is that it's the organisational culture, it's the ways of working. These are the things that enable bullying to happen. They're the things that motivate bullying to happen and they are the risk factors that need to be addressed if we really want to effectively stop bullying in organisations. My guests will be Professor Michelle Tucky from the University of South Australia, as well as some of you who bravely shared your stories about being bullied at work. I had mild things from RSI, repetitive strain injury from overwork, aches, pains, headaches, neck tension, uh, constant problems from gut health to chronic fatigue to developing anxiety. I'm not a crier at work generally, but um, this one did have me quite upset. Uh, I lost sleep. I would vomit before going to work and it came in waves. Things I noticed, I would get short with other people. I would have to just to take a breath. I was smoking at the time, so I did smoke a, a lot more <laughs> during, during the worst parts of this. And we learned that the bullies themselves sometimes don't even know that they're the bully. 
The very limited data we have suggests that the people who are alleged to be doing the bullying behaviour are actually caught up in a really stressful or toxic um, organisational system as well. And there are sometimes, you know, really toxic individuals that, that do move around that are protected in some way or for which it's hard to take any kind of corrective action. And so th there are some exceptions, but, you know, many people might be unaware and they might actually be caught up in, in a really stressful and unhealthy work system themselves. And how to avoid being a bystander. No one felt that saying anything would do much about it which also made reporting it harder, but you can't be a bystander to it, but you really have to be careful in the way you go about supporting a person who you think is being bullied as well, so it doesn't become gossipy. That's next time on This Working Life. And if someone you know really needs to hear this, please share us around. Thanks to producer Zoe Ferguson, who has to head into the garden after being on Zoom with me. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.